0: All right, so Farmer Brown was in an accident with a truck on the highway, and he went to sue the trucking company for negligence. And as he's on the witness stand, the lawyer for the trucking company is cross-examining him, and he says, "Uh, Farmer Brown, is it not true that at the time of the accident you told the state troopers, and I quote, I'm perfectly fine. Farmer Brown says, well, you have to understand, no, no, no. just answer the question, did you tell the state trooper that you are perfectly fine? So we well, have to understand, says, so the lawyer says, the judge, I want the witness to answer the question. He says, let, let, him, let, him, let him answer how he's comfortable answering. Go ahead. So Farmer Brown says, you have to understand. I just loaded my favorite mule, Bessie, into my wagon. And I was riding down the, uh, the highway. And the truck came out of nowhere and hit us. And Bessie went flying one direction into one ditch. And I went flying the other direction into another ditch. And then I hear the state troopers come. I hear the sirens. And I hear the state trooper get out of, his, out of his squad car. And I hear him walking around. And I hear him walking over to where Bessie is. And I hear a gunshot. And then the trooper comes over to me and he says, your mule was in really bad shape. I had to put her down. How are you feeling? I said, I'm perfectly fine. That's the joke. Okay. Got it? <laughs> the guy you when a mule or a horse is really, really in poor shape. So you put them out of their misery, you kill them, they can't be cured, right? So he asked the farmer, How are you doing? If he would have said, I'm in bad shape, he was afraid they would shoot him. So he said, I'm says perfectly fine. I'm fine. I'm fine, right. Like don't like leave me alone. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I'm perfectly fine. This week's Parsha, Pasha's Vayeshev, falls in the week of Yud Kislev, Or maybe we should say Yud Kislev mm-hmm. falls in the week of Vayeshev. And uh, we, in general, look for a significance. It's a, it's a concept from the Shalah from the Shnei Lucha sabris that although the Torah reading is based on dividing the 53 Parshas to be read over the over the year, um, there is, by divine providence, an underlying connection between the Parsha of the week and the events that transpire in the week and, and historical events that are commemorated during the week. So we're looking for a connection between Vayeshev and Yotes Kislev, which is the Rosh Hashanah L'Chassidus, the day of the redemption from imprisonment of the Alter Rebbe, and uh, it's known as a day, a turning point for the dissemination of Pnimyas HaTayrah, the inner secrets of the Torah. Also, we're getting close to Hanukkah, so we're ramping up to that. We're preparing for Hanukkah already, so we're looking for that connection. So we're looking for a connection between the Parsha and uh, Yud Kislev and Chanukah. So I'm going to tell you a story and then uh, we'll get back to the Parsha and to Yud Kislev and to Chanukah. The story uh, takes place in Argentina. What was going on? There was a, There was a period of time when they used to run Shchita, uh, ritual slaughter, in, in Argentina. And shochtim, uh, the ritual slaughterers, from wherever they were from, usually from America, would fly down there. And uh, they'd live there for, for months at a time. And it was very rigorous work. Basically, the shlachtes, the plant, would open up at six in the morning, and it would, uh, or five in the morning, before dawn. And it would close at uh, 6 p.m. after dark. And uh, they had security there. The security was because of uh, thieves. You know, they had equipment. They didn't want the equipment to be stolen. So basically, there was one time in the morning when everyone couldn't be let in. And they'd open up the place. And then there was one time at night when everyone could be let out, and then they would lock it up for good. Um, and then the night watchman would stay there. Nobody could come back in, till until the morning. Um, that was that was the way that it was run. At any rate, there were a group of about twenty shochtim, twenty uh, slaughterers, and they had finished a day of work. And it was six o'clock. It was dark. And what they would do is they would gather in sort of a like a courtyard in front of the plant, but before the, the gate. And when they would all be gathered, then the guard would open up the gate and let them out, and then lock it up, and then the night watchman would come. So, <coughs> one evening, they're waiting to be let out of the gate, and, and they don't really speak Spanish, and the, the guard doesn't really speak Yiddish or Hebrew or English, whatever the languages are, Russian or Polish, whatever languages these these guys spoke. Um, why do I say Russian or Polish? Because one of the st- per- people in the story was actually originally from Poland, from Warsaw, but I'll get to him in one second. Um, the guard is telling the the shochtim, that he's not going to open up the gate. And they're getting very annoyed. And he can't really speak their language and they can't really speak his. So they're, they're yelling at him, open up the gate. We want to go home. It's late. You're going to let us out. And he's saying, no, no, I'm not letting you out. So they're, they're, they're yelling at him, open the gate. So he says, no, you, I can, I'm not opening the gate. He's telling them, there's one more, there's one more. So there's, there's no more, there's no more. Yes, there's one more, one more rabbi, one more rabbi. They said, there's no more rabbi, we're all here, let us out. He said, no, no, I'm not going to let you out. So finally they, they they went back in the plant and they went around and they opened up a deep freezer and they found one of the rabbis was in the deep freezer. He'd somehow gotten locked in. He couldn't get out. And he would have been left there overnight. And he would have died. So they took him out of the the freezer and uh, they warmed him up and after they you know they saved his life, so they said to the to the guard how did how did you know like <laughs> you know there's a stereotype that you know all all uh, all rabbis look alike right especially if you're not from somebody's culture, so you look at them a group of them as all looking alike so this Local guy from Argentina is non-Jew. He sees 19 rabbis. How does he know one rabbi is missing? I mean, it's very unusual that he would notice the one guy. And they were all saying, no, nobody's missing. So they asked him, you know, how did he know? So the guard says, every morning, The workers come, you you guys, the rabbis, the the shaktan. And they walk in, I let everyone in, they walk in. There's only one rabbi, every morning he comes in, he says, hello, good morning. And every night when he leaves, he says, goodbye, good night. This morning, this rabbi said, hello, good morning, but tonight I did not hear, goodbye, good night. So I knew he wasn't here. And that's, that's, how, that's why I insisted, you have to go and find him. And that, that's how they found him. Now, who was this? This was a Yid named Rebbe Avram Ziskind, a hush of a Yid. He was from Warsaw, Poland. He became close to Lubavitch there when the previous Rebbe was in, was in Poland. He came over to America, first to Israel and then to, then to America. <coughs> he was actually married to one of three sisters. So his two brothers-in-law also very chasvei Mesha Pinchas Katz, and Rabbi Mordechai Mentlik, were his two uh, brothers-in-law. He himself was uh, the first Rosh Koil in Crown Heights in 770. He actually was the first person to start a women's shear and Ksides in Crown Heights. It's the first, he has that distinction, the first one to do that. And uh, many other accomplishments. Happens to be, he was also a shaychet. So he was down there in Argentina, <coughs> you know, making, making a living for a few months. And what saved his life, and what enabled him to continue to come back to, uh, to New York, and to do all of the things that he did, and to, to, to teach Torah and to, to help so many people, is only because of this small seemingly small habit he had of saying good morning and saying good night to somebody who everybody else overlooked. Okay, so in this week's Pasha Parashas Yeshev a Tzaddik is, he's already, he's a slave, then he's framed for, for a crime he didn't commit, he's thrown in prison. He's thrown in prison, and when he's in prison, he's there at the same time as Providence would have it, with the chief baker and the chief butler. And it says that when he gets there, he arrives in prison, Yosem came to them in the morning, zayafim. He saw them, and they were, Zayafim <speaking> means they, they were sad, or they were distraught. The chief baker and the chief butler. The Yishal and he asked as Sri these attendants, officers of Pare, Asher Itei, that were with him Bimishmar there in prison, base Adainov in the house of his master, Petifa. Lamer saying, Yosef says to the two other prisoners, Madua Pnehem Raim Hayem, why are your faces bad? Meaning, why do you look distraught today? It's a miracle, if you think about it, that Yosef even asked this question. First of all, this was the lowest point of his life. This is before the dream interpretation thing started. This is before he uh, became viceroy. This is as he's arriving in prison for a crime he didn't commit he's at his lowest point okay he's been torn away from his home tor- torn away from his family his father doesn't know his true whereabouts he becomes a slave then as a slave he's framed for a crime now he's thrown in prison at this point any normal person would say you know what I'm sorry I can't notice what's going on with other people I have my own problems so that's one number two who did he ask Hey, what's wrong, guys? Why do you look upset? Sri se officers of pare. That's the power structure that's oppressing him and put him where he is, put him in jail. So why should he care about two of these, these insiders? They're, they're part of the problem. They're part of the system that's oppressing him. So he shouldn't care about them. Or he maybe even, if he's really full of self-pity, he should be so re- resentful and say, good, I'm glad, at least there's some misery being spread around. Let them suffer. And third of all, it takes an extra—I don't know—outgoingness to ask them, "Why do you look sad today?" They're in prison. Everybody looks sad, right? So to even notice and say, "Oh, you—but you look extra sad," right? So there's so many reasons why Yosef should never have even asked them, "Hey, what's up, guys? What's wrong?" It would have made so much sense if he didn't ask them. And yet, he did. And because he did, they answered the question. They said, well, we both had dreams that troubled us. From that, his dream interpreting skills became revealed. And from that, it actually freed him from prison. It freed him from prison. Because he became a dream interpreter. But that's not all. The ultimate reward for going out of his way and asking somebody, Hey, what's up? How are you doing? How are you feeling? It wasn't just that he was freed. That was only be- the beginning of his reward. What was the ultimate reward? You know, by Yidin, we have an interesting expression. There's an expression we use, "Tis We say it so often, we don't even think what it means. But like, you know, uh, how many times I've picked up somebody on the side of the road, and where are you going? Uh, going a mile down, and you drive them the mile down, and you drop them off, and they say, tiskele mitzvahs. mitzvahs means you should be zeicha. you should merit to do mitzvahs. Hold on a second. I just did a mitzvah. <laughs> I, do, I do a guy a favor. Tiskele mitzvahs, you should merit to do mitzvahs. Well, what are you saying? I just did a mitzvah, and I should merit to do a mitzvah. What does it mean? It means mitzvah gereres mitzvah. A mitzvah causes a mitzvah. So, if somebody just did a mitzvah, what's the nicest thing you could tell them? Hey, keep it up. You should merit to do more and more stuff like this. In other words, the greatest reward for doing good is not just that I'm going to be personally helped. The greatest reward for doing good is that Hashem gives me more opportunities to help. So I can do more of the same. So Yasef's reward for going out of himself and saying, Hey guys, what's up? What's wrong? How, 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 how can I help you? It only started, his reward only started when it got him out of prison. But what was his real reward for going out of his way and seeing if he could help a couple strangers? His real reward is he went out of his way to help a couple strangers and that enabled him to help the world. He saved the world from famine. He saved the world from famine. So you go out of your way a little bit and not only does it help you, but the greatest reward it allows you to help others. That's the lesson of Vayeshev, and that's the connection both to Yutes Kislev and to Hanukkah. <coughs> Yutes Kislev, Rosh Hashanah, the is compared to ayer, to light. Hanukkah is a festival of light. We literally we light the menorah with actual light. There are a lot of reasons we use the metaphor of light. But I'll tell you one thing that light represents. This is something... (laughs) Uh, When I saw this in the Sichas, the Rebbe said this, I I thought only the Rebbe could say this word. What's light? Light travels incredibly fast. 186,000 miles per second that's how fast light travels. The circumference of the earth is 25,000 miles okay that means from any point on the globe all the way around the long way back to that same point is gonna be 25,000 miles. What does that mean? That means in theory if you light a light anywhere on the face of this earth if it is unobstructed if it doesn't get blocked the light will travel around the world Right? If it takes 1 second to go 186,000 miles, how long does it take the, the light to go around the world? 0.14 something seconds. In other words, the light can go around the world over 7 times in a second. Basically instantaneously. It's such a nominal amount of time that it is considered non-time. So what do we see? Light works super super fast. So there's no such thing really as just a local effect, everything's a global effect. That you light a light anywhere on Earth and it covers the entire Earth instantaneously. That's what light represents, that's what Siddhis allows us to appreciate. That there's no small mitzvah, and there's no such thing as me in my little corner of the world, or a small interaction, or a small person, or a small, a small action. Nothing small, because everything is light. It travels instantaneously around the entire world and back. So if we appreciate that sometimes just going out of your comfort zone and, and thinking about others, even when, like Yasef, he was at the lowest point of his life and he had plenty of reasons to be resentful and really had plenty of reason to rationalize. There's no reason to even ask people how they're doing. And He had every reason to just not go out of himself. But if you Put yourself aside, put aside the ego, and just look out for another human being. Or like Avram the Sheikhit, just say good morning to a person or good night. So that quote unquote tiny act can have global repercussions. It can be the beginning of a of a of a chain reaction where you can actually save the whole world.